Psalms and go with me to Psalm 13 this evening. Psalm 13. While you're turning there, I ask you a question. Did you just lie? If ever I loved thee, my Jesus is now. I would have to guess for some of us in the room, if we stop and we think about that and try to evaluate, um, we're like, ooh, ouch. I would still contend that it is worth us singing, maybe not as a declaration of where we are, but as a aspiration to where we want to be. To say, Lord, I want to love you now. I want to draw close to you now. Along the way in our Christian journey, there are times where everything's great, and there are times where things are hard, and sometimes in the times that seem good, we're actually not doing too well, and in the times that seem really bad, we're actually doing pretty good in our relationship with the Lord. And in fact, in many ways, we could use the analogy, while it is not as important, it is still significant of our human relationships, right? Um, for some, tomorrow may be a meaningful day to go, hey, it's Valentine's Day. And wouldn't it be great if in some of your human relationships, maybe in a marriage or in a friendship, to be able to go, hey, you know what? I love our friendship. I love you as my husband, my wife, uh, more than I ever have, to have that closeness of relationship. Whether it's a friendship or a marriage, um, we all know what it's like in human relationships where you're like, I know I should be there, but I'm not. You guys are looking at me like you have no idea what I'm talking about. You're like, oh, I can't acknowledge that that's true because then he might think it applies to me. I know it's true. In fact, it's kind of scary if we don't see it as true. But there are moments in relationship with those who are very, very close to us where like, look, we need to talk. I mean, I've been here as a pastor talking to people and I've been here as a sinner myself. I, I do understand this where it's like, we need to talk. I know we need to talk. I can't even wrap my mind around all that we need to talk about. But I'm just going to tell you, we will talk, and I want you to know that I love you. And we're going to figure this out. We're going to work through this. Because I know right now, if I were to begin to talk, that what comes out might be marked by flesh, or really, even just as I begin to assess. Like, have you ever been here where you're processing your thoughts, and you're like, I know I shouldn't say that because I know that it's not true, but it's what's in my mind, and I can't see around that, so I'm just not going to say anything. Or maybe we make the misstep and we go ahead and say it, right? Some of you can identify with what I'm talking about. I hope many of you can. On the other hand, I think there's some times where it's like, yeah, I don't even have that conversation. Like, there are far too many people who are more comfortable just going, well, just let some time go on. We'll pretend like that didn't happen. We're just not going to talk about it. I mean, we don't, that's the way I grew up. We didn't talk about things, so I'm not going to talk about it. Yeah, that helps, right? It's like knowing you need surgery and saying, I'm just not going to the doctor. We'll just let it stay there. And meanwhile, the cancer grows. That's not a real healthy approach. Or on the other hand, 
probably the worst spot is to be in a situation where it's there, and it's not just that you're not having the conversation, it's that you don't even see it in the first place. That's probably the worst place to be. I say all of that to bring us to Psalm 13, because Psalm 13 is one of those raw, honest psalms. Whereas we listen to David talk, there are points where it's like, can you really say that in church? Like, I looked in the supplement, it's not there, because I would have been tempted to go, hey, Pastor Ginger, I got a favorite tonight. Let's sing Psalm 13 for worship. You would have been like, oh, who picked that? Because some of this is stuff where it's like, we're not real comfortable because the psalmist, as I mentioned this morning, starts right out of the gate. We'll read it here in just a minute. But it's like, God, how long? Whoa. Because he's struggling. And yet what is beautiful in this psalm, so wonderful about this psalm, is the psalmist is very honest with God as to where he's at, what he is feeling. But as he articulates where he is at to God, he eventually turns the corner and says, but God, here's what I'm going to do. Again, I can picture conversations I've had in my pastoral role and my personal role, both, where I've sat down with people and it's like, I understand where you're at. And we begin to talk, or I say, here's where I'm at. And it's like, I know this isn't good, but as we're talking through it, God begins to work and change is processed and, and we turn the corner even though there's still more work to be done. That happens in Psalm 13. And God, through the inspiration of his spirit and his wisdom in preserving his word said, here's something that you need. I mean, again, you read, uh, if you're following the church's Bible reading plan, this morning we read Psalm 34. Psalm 34 is wonderful. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will be continually in my mouth. Magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord. He heard me. He delivered me from all my fears. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Whoa, that's great stuff. Psalm 13 doesn't sound quite so triumphant. Let's read it together. How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? Forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord, my God. Lighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest mine enemies say, I've prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. 
even as we read those words, you see so strongly within the psalm this contrast painted. Where he starts in verses 1 and 2 with all of these questions, how long, how long, how long, how long, to come to verses 3 and 4 and say, God, here's what I'm asking. God, here's what I need you to do. God, please answer. To verses 5 and 6 where he says, God, here's my commitment. Here's what I'm going to do regardless. We've observed this at a number of points in the Psalms, but it's probably worth pointing out even this early on in the message, that we have no inclination within this short psalm that David's requests have been answered and his circumstances changed. We did not get to the end of verse 4, and it's like, happily ever after, okay, but I will praise the Lord. Like, we didn't get that in the psalm. And yet David's heart is turned to continue trusting, rejoicing, singing, praising, in spite of the difficulty that he's in. With this particular psalm, we don't have an inclination as to at what time in David's life is this. I can't be 100% sure you can chuck this if you want. I have a feeling this is not anywhere between 2 Samuel chapter 2 and 2 Samuel chapter 10. Because things seem great in David's life in those chapters. But what's amazing about David's life is if you were to pick and look at David's life from 1 Samuel 18 through the end of 1 Samuel, or in 2 Samuel 11, basically to the end, there's a lot of difficulty for King David. A lot. Whether it's Saul trying to kill him, or Abimelech and his issue there, whether it's his own son, Absalom, or this host of other individuals in 2 Samuel who are going to attack him along the way as well. I mean, David has plenty of enemies. Which enemies are referenced here? I don't know. We don't know. But it's clearly a very difficult, very low point in David's life. Asked myself the question as I was preparing this week, what do you do when the storms don't stop and God seems so distant? What do you do when the storms don't stop and God seems so distant? I think what David does here is very instructive to us. Really, there's a number of psalms. This is a lament psalm. Uh, there's a lot of lament psalms. There's actually, that's the biggest category of psalms in, in the psalms. And yet, they're probably not most of our favorites right? I did not do this, but I think if I went through the supplement and the psalms that are there, there's probably not very many lament psalms put to text for us to be able to sing together. Because this is pouring out our heart before God, saying, God, I'm struggling, but I'm trying to trust. I am trying to trust. We work through the psalm this evening. We're going to look at three simple headings, three simple statements. And at the end of each one, I want to give us a point of application. The headings that we're going to consider are geared as though David's doing them, because in the psalm he is, but then we'll personalize them by way of the application at the end of each point. So as we begin in verses 1 and 2, we'll summarize it this way. He questions desperately. He questions desperately. I mean, again, you can't read verses 1 and 2 without being struck at where the psalmist is. 
four different times in those four short or those two short verses, he asks that question, how long? How long? How long? How long? I think many of us have the mindset when we face difficulty where we enter into like, we're gonna get through this. We're gonna get through this. We're gonna get through this, right? Or something comes up and it's like, okay. I know this is going to be hard, but this is just for a season in life, and so we'll just get through this season, and it'll be okay. But when weeks turn into months, and months turn into years, when a trial becomes trials, becomes a lifestyle, we struggle. Because in our humanity, in our frailty, we begin to realize, I'm too weak. God, I can't. And so the psalmist asks a question that perhaps you've wrestled with as he says, God, how long? What is the duration of this? Because if we can put a deadline on it, if there's a finish line in sight, I might be able to get there but he doesn't know what the time frame is here. And so he says, God, how long? It's clear that David feels alone and abandoned. He's attacked. It's not just, we'll make some application to us, but it it almost falls short for most of us. It's not just that life is uncomfortable for David. It's unbearable. It's unbearable. This can't keep going on. And so he prays. He prays very honestly and earnestly and dependently. And we will get here because we don't want to miss this. If we miss this, we fail. Don't, don't, don't miss that, right? If we miss this, we fail. Not only does he pray very honestly and earnestly and dependently, he prays confidently in the end. He turns the corner. This is just not a massive session of complaint from David to God. Because he does complain. He does question. But he trusts. He trusts. God, I'm bringing this to you because you are the one who can solve this. Because you are the one that I need to act the person who walks through difficulty in life and says, I'm not going to tell God where I'm at. I'm just going to keep plugging along, trying to change it, is in a much worse position. In essence, it's like those conversations I used a few moments ago in our introduction. There are times where we say, God, I'm going to tell you where I'm at, and I I know I shouldn't be here. I'm I'm going to tell you, and God, here's where my heart is, and here's where I need to be. That's what David does through this psalm as he questions desperately. We could view it this way. His complaint really is an expression of his faith. God, things are different than what I believe. You ever been there where it's like, okay, here's what I believe. Every good and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father above with whom is no variableness. But when I look right now, it seems like there is change. There is variableness. Right? 
all things work together for good to those who love God. God, I, I, I think I love you. I know it's not perfect, but I don't see much good. You see, David is saying, God, things don't look like I think they are supposed to, but, but God, I am turning to you, and he is sharing where he's at and his feelings. And I would say his complaint then is this expression of faith. See, God allows all different kinds of circumstances into our lives that can either drive us from God or to God. And sadly, I think many of us know what it's like where life circumstances are at work in someone and they go away from God. David's response here is right. He goes to God. So we look at these four questions. When he questions desperately, we'll break them into three categories. The first is this. He questions desperately in his relationship to God. In other words, he's looking up, talking to God. And of all the uh, sections that we look at, I think this is most important. It's primary in David's thinking. It comes out first. He's going to go from looking up, talking to God, to looking in, talking to himself, to then looking out and going, here's what I see with my enemies. So he asks God first, how long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? You know, I, I'm sure many of us know what it's like to pray for something and, and it seems like God's not answering and God's not hearing. You do realize what David is saying here is beyond that. He is not saying, God, why don't you hear me? God, why don't you answer me? David says, God, how long are you going to forget about me? Is that theologically accurate? No. Does God forget about us? No. But David's saying, God, here's what I feel. And as he even speaks that to God, look at the name that he uses. How long will you forget about me, O Jehovah? This great I am who personally committed himself to his people. That is his covenant name that he used with the, people, the children of Israel. Does God forget his promises? Clearly the answer is no. But David is wrestling with what he sees in life and saying, God, how long will you forget about me? But rather than forsake God, David is talking to God. He's sharing the questions that are on his mind. Again, there are times where questions come into our mind. It's like, I know this question shouldn't even be there, but my mind is stirred up. And so David communicates his question to God. In fact, he goes a step further as you read there with those two simple words saying, is this forever? Is this permanent? God, how long will you forget about me? Having raised a question in relationship to God, he asks yet another. He questions desperately. How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? God, are you avoiding me? Again, that idea of being before God's face is that honored position. Even if, again, you're reading the church's Bible reading. We're in Exodus, and Moses is like, God, I want to see you. God says, you can't see me, but if you hide in the cleft of the rock, I'll cover you over and I'll pass by. I'll lift my hand for but a moment so that you might see my hinder parts. The idea of being face-to-face -face with God is this close relationship. And David says, God, how long are you going to keep your face from me? How, how long are you going to avoid me? 
Again, I would say for many, if not all, our circumstances certainly are different than David's. But I think we know what it's like when we pray and it doesn't seem like there's an answer. It's like, God, why aren't you answering my prayer? Are you avoiding me? Or we wait and direction doesn't seem to come or we trust and the problems only seem to multiply. Lord, how long? How long? Again, if David had stopped here, we might find the honesty of his speech problematic. But David doesn't stop here. As we continue on, though, we look at the fact that he questions desperately. We've looked at in relationship to God. But secondly, we want to see his, as he questions desperately in the battle of his soul. In the battle of his soul, as he looks in. How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? In essence, David is pointing to the reality that his thoughts are tormenting him as he tries to process all of this. His heart is in emotional turmoil. You see, we live in a sin-cursed earth where the circumstances of life are sometimes so heavy in our humanity and frailty, there is no way we can process it all. And we reach the end of our own strength, our own resources. That's where David is here. God, how long am I going to have to keep talking to myself on the inside, having this tormenting sorrow in my heart every day? As we read these phrases, there's a minimum of two possibilities to help us understand them, particularly this idea of taking counsel in my soul. On the one hand, it could be that David's asking, how long... Will I keep trying to come up with plans that fail? How long do I have to keep taking counsel in my soul? Like, okay, let's think about it this way. Let's try to do this. Maybe if we do that, then everything will get resolved. And it doesn't work. So David's like, how long do I have to keep giving myself advice, trying to find a way out, working on my part or my responsibility, only to find that nothing is working. God, how long do I have to do this? Or on the other hand, he could be simply saying, I lean this way, how long do I have to counter my thoughts and feelings? How long do I have to keep talking to myself, going, hope in God, hope in God? You remember we saw we studied Psalm 42 very early on in our time in the Psalms, probably September time frame last year where the psalmist says, O soul, why art thou disquieted within me? Why is my soul all stirred up and unrest inside? And the psalmist says there in Psalm 42, Hope thou in God. Hope thou in God. David here could very well be saying, God, how long do I have to keep counseling myself, talking to myself? Because one of the repeated themes in the psalm is that we do need to be speaking truth to ourselves. Going, here's what I feel, but I'm talking to myself. I'm, I'm communicating with myself. I'm preaching to myself. You know, that battle can be exhausting. Right? That battle can be exhausting. Think of a simple, dumb analogy. Okay? You can set out and go, hey, try and do a better job with my diet. And you see leftover dessert there? Sweets. It's like, nope, not going to do that. 
nope, not going to do that. No, no, I'm, I'm not, you know, I, I've been really good. It probably isn't that big of a deal. And like the battle's lost already right there. Like we try to talk to ourselves and you can pick whatever analogy you want, temptation, diet, whatever. But we realize our ability to talk to ourselves wears us down. David saying, God, how long do I have to keep giving myself advice, taking counsel in my soul, while also having this sorrow in my heart every day? God, it seems like you're so far away. It seems like you're hiding from me. God, I'm, I'm trying to talk to myself and I'm struggling. So David is very honest. He questions desperately, first in relationship to God, second in the battle of his soul, third in the advancement of the wicked. Third in the advancement of the wicked. He's looked up to God. He's looked inside at his soul. Now he looks out. How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? I've already mentioned that we don't know exactly when in David's life this is, but we can go all the way to 1 Samuel chapter 16 when David kind of first begins to appear on the scene and he's anointed to be the next king of Israel. Whoa. It's amazing, right? So he's got this unique designation, this this unique calling from God. So does life go great for David at that point? Not really. I mean, he kills Goliath in chapter 17. That's pretty awesome. Um, Then Saul wants to kill him for lots of chapters. Okay, David does become king. God advances his kingdom, 2 Samuel chapter 2 or so on. And we get that wonderful promise in chapter 7, this Davidic covenant, where God says, I'm going to give you an everlasting kingdom. The blessed, I mean, remember how it started, David's like, God, I'm going to build you a house. And God says, nope, I've never dwelt in a house. I'm going to build you a house, David. That's what happens in 2 Samuel 7. It's incredible. So then, like, cue the credits, happily ever after, right? No, David's own son wants to kill him. It's not good after David's sin with Bathsheba and continuing on. Like, it only unravels for David. It doesn't matter which time frame you pick, but David can look and go, I see enemies, and they are being uplifted. God, this is incongruous. This is wrong with what, what, we've, what has been laid out in life. You know, you, you can look at God's chosen people, even when the Philistines are coming after Israel. It's like, God promised to bless his people Israel. This doesn't seem consistent. This seems wrong. I mean, in the Old Testament, if God's people are suffering and their enemies are prospering, there is a problem. They have not obeyed. God is judging in some way. Something is wrong. And so David's looking, going, God, something is not right here. Again, for us, we we may not have enemies, or perhaps you do, but you can look and go, Lord, I've tried to be faithful to you. I've tried to be responsible before you. And Lord, as I look, I I see this neighbor, this coworker, this family member, and, and they seem to be living in wickedness, and life just seems great for them. And we struggle. You know, it's okay to talk to God about that. It's been a while since we were there, but we spent quite a bit of time looking at it in Psalm 73. Because the psalmist in Psalm 73, for the first 17 verses of the psalm, lays that out before God. 
until his perspective is adjusted and corrected. So the psalmist here is asking God, how long? How long in relationship to you? How long with the turmoil inside of me? How long with my enemy seeming to succeed out there? You know, there are many times where God says, the trial you are in, the difficulty of your circumstances is going to last for a while. I don't presume to know all the reasons why God lets that happen. But can I remind you of a few? One, it may be that he simply wants to receive glory in your faithfulness. To go, I will still praise him. I will still praise him. And he is worthy of that glory. It could be that he's reorienting our heart's desires reminding us, you don't live for here. To go, you were made for eternity. Don't, don't settle in and get too comfortable here. Don't enjoy life too much here. There's something more that waits. Could be. It could be that he just wants us and others around us to see his grace sustained. Or go, that's not me. I'm weak. It's him. It's his grace. It could be, and this is kind of the one we all want, like miraculous deliverance, praise. That's Psalm 34, because even in Psalm 34, David did note that he had enemies. Okay? Could be that's why. Regardless, there are times we need to turn to God and say, God, how long? Understanding the possibilities I just laid out doesn't always help our practical reality. It's like, I get that, Pastor, but where am I right now? I hurt. I feel all alone. If you're there, you can talk to God. Our first point is he questions desperately. What does that mean for you and me? It's this simple. Talk to God honestly. Talk to God honestly. Because you have a close relationship. Because you trust Again, there are times where maybe with a friend, like, I know you didn't mean to say this this way, and I, 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 I'm sure that's not, but I just have to tell you that I am struggling because I, I, I felt hurt and I interpreted it this way because you can't get your mind around. I'm like, I'm so sorry. You're right. I didn't mean it that way. And like, all of a sudden, there's close relationship because you were willing to have the conversation. If that was you and you said something to someone and they read it wrong and now they're really struggling, would you like it if they're just like, I'm not talking to them about it. There's no way. And they're just in inner turmoil. You'd say, I wish you would have talked to me months ago. Right? Even worse if we're talking about a marriage. You know, there are times where like, God, I know I shouldn't be struggling with this. And God, I, I wish I was strong enough to say I had complete faith, but God, I am really struggling. I need your help. I need your grace. I need you to work. David questions desperately here. What does that mean for you and me? Talk to God honestly. Secondly, he pleads earnestly. He pleads earnestly. We'll try to move quickly for sake of time, but in essence, there are two requests here. God, hear, and God, help. God, hear me and help me. 
Beginning of verse 3, God here, consider and hear me, O Lord my God. This word consider means look upon and gaze intensely, right? To go, God, would you just look and study me, where I'm at, what I'm going through, how I'm responding. God, would you see every part of me and know me so that you hear me? And here again, he notes Jehovah, Lord, the one who's committed himself to his people, but also the one who is self-existent, meaning he has all the resources he needs at disposal to help in any way possible because he needs nothing to sustain him. But he doesn't just say, God, hear. He does say, God, help. Here's his request. God, lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. In essence, you're reading David here. His energy is sapped. His strength is gone. He believes death is near. God, would you give life once more? Would you brighten my eyes? Because I can't keep going. I'm at the end here, God. So would you help? Lighten my eyes. For him, he notes that his enemies are prospering as well as part of the help he requests. Uh, I I don't want my enemy to be able to say, I've prevailed against him. Those that are trouble uh, me rejoice when I'm moved. God, I don't want them to look and go, see, he's over. What a wonderful thing. David can go, God, you've committed yourself to me. You've called me to be king. Later on, he could say, God, you've promised me this everlasting kingdom, and yet it seems like this is all going wrong. The the enemies are going to boast. And it's that Psalm 73 mindset where the psalmist is like, where's God? He doesn't see. He doesn't know. David's like, God, we don't want that. We don't want to see the enemy succeed in that way in their wickedness. We want people to rejoice because of what God has done. So God, we can summarize David's request here of hear and help this way. God, please restore so they won't rejoice. Restore my life so they won't rejoice. He questions desperately, and we said the point for us is talk to God honestly. Here he pleads earnestly, God hear, God help. The simple thought for us is pray to God dependently. When you're in turmoil, your circumstances are overwhelming, you feel like you can't go another step, it's okay to say, God, here's where I'm at, and then to say, but God, here's what I'm asking because I can't do anything else. It is up to you, Lord. I need you to work. Here's our third and final thought as we come to verses five and six. He believes confidently. He believes confidently. So I was reading, I looked up, and I could see it in your response to the text here, but it's certainly true that at this point in the psalm, everything changes. I don't know that we have Psalm 13 if only verses 1 through 4 had been written. Maybe we would. Maybe it's not my place to say. I don't know. But everything changes in verse 5. One little word, one little conjunction. But I have trusted in thy mercy. We go from how long, how long? God, why are you hiding from me? To God, I have trusted in your mercy. 
He believes confidently. As he does so, notice first he communicates his trust. It's pretty obvious in the text. I have trusted in thy mercy. That word mercy is that familiar Hebrew word, God, I've trusted in your hesed, your, your covenant love. It's, it's undeserved, which is one of the reasons why it gets translated mercy. Sometimes it gets translated loving kindness. God, you've given me what I don't deserve. You've loved me faithfully, permanently, through your covenant. God, I've trusted in that love. You know what? When we recognize that kind of love of God, it is what sustains in the midst of incredible difficulty. Romans 8, if you go through tribulation, peril, famine, does it separate you from God's love? The answer from God to you, to me, is no. None of those things can ever separate me from God's love. It would be wonderful if we could say as we go through some of those things, do they ever separate us in our disposition towards God's love? And unfortunately, sometimes the answer is, well, yeah. Where we ought to do what David does here. God, I'm struggling but I am going to trust in your love. I'm banking on your character. I'm turning to you. Not only does he communicate his trust, but he commits to praise. He commits to praise. First, he expresses this internally. He says, my heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. Again, keep in mind, it does not appear that his circumstances have changed, but his trust is that deep. Like you read the commentators and they all note it. He, he's speaking as though this is a sure thing. It's going to happen. When? I don't know. But God, I've trusted in your mercy, so my heart is going to rejoice because you will deliver. I don't know when that is. I don't know what that looks like, but my heart will rejoice in your salvation. I love the fact that he says my heart because sometimes when we think of praise, we think about, well, I, I gave a testimony, I verbalized these things, I sang a song, and those are all good things. We'll get to some of those in just a moment. But you know, we praise best when our heart's in it. When that fire gets lit inside, it's like it has to come out. David's saying, I'm committed to praising. I've trusted you, and I know, and my heart is just going to rejoice in your salvation. So he commits to praise first internally, second vocally. Say musically. It's not just inter done internally, it does come out. I will sing unto Jehovah. I will sing unto the Lord. He's not going, well, I'll just kind of keep it to myself and just walk around with a little smile. That's where some of us live today, like, oh, I, I just, no one wants to know. David's like, it's going to come out, I'm going to sing. Because God has to be praised. David's not going, well, you know what, my voice isn't all that good. Right? I mean, we can go, and David actually got criticized for worship at one point. It's like, well, David's still going to praise. I will sing unto the Lord. It will come out. He will sing. He commits to praise not just internally and vocally, but third, purposefully, or we might say gratefully. 
because he hath dealt bountifully with me. He can look back and say, God has dealt. That verb is perfect tense. For those who like grammar in our midst, to go, this happened in the past, but it continues to be true in the present. So God has back here and continues to deal bountifully with me. David's situation still doesn't seem to be done, but he's brought about a very important truth for us to keep in mind. One of the helps to us when we're in incredible difficulty, when our circumstances seem unrelenting, is to think back and go, God, you were so good there, and you were so good there, and you were so good there, And God, your goodness is in my life right here. And God, I don't want to miss your blessing in my life right now. And to be able to say, it's true, God, you have dealt bountifully with me. You are dealing bountifully with me. So that we continue to trust, so that we continue to praise as we pour out our heart and talk to God. And if you notice the words that David uses here, he's, saying, yes, I'm praising you, but he points to the plentiful, bountiful nature of what God has done. The idea of those words means it it exceeds what is needed or deserved. There are some of you, if I walk up to you on any given day and say, how are you doing? You say, better than I deserve. That's David here. And yet David also just said, God, how long are you going to forget me? Can it also be true that David can say, but God, you've given me far better than I deserve? It can. But David's perspective has shifted in Psalm, and it shifted as he communicated to God, here's where I'm at, here's what I'm asking, but here's what I'm going to do. conclude this evening, we've looked at the idea that he questions desperately, and I've challenged you to talk to God honestly. He pleads earnestly, and the application of that for us is to pray to God dependently. Third, he believes confidently, and for us, two thoughts. One, trust God faithfully, and two, praise him joyfully. Praise him joyfully. I mean, you go through those last two verses, trust in mercy, Rejoice in salvation. Sing unto the Lord. He's dealt bountifully. Be good for us in our difficult circumstances or even in the good times to go, God, I'm just going to keep trusting you. I will trust you faithfully. But I also want to praise you joyfully. You've dealt so bountifully with me. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you for this psalm, the honesty of it. Lord, certainly there's attention there that we wrestle with and at times leaves us feeling uncomfortable. But Lord, I pray that as we walk through difficult circumstances, we would learn from this psalm to turn to you rather than letting those things drive us away from you, to turn to you and acknowledge our struggle, ask you to work, but commit to continue trusting you so that we can praise you. Lord, we do love you. We thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.